Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, from the center, a place of hope in Washington State, Gregory Jantz joined me recently to discuss mental issues that have resulted from the coronavirus and how God's Word offers wisdom and hope. Then it's Owen Strand from Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Arkansas and Family Research Council, who provides a comparison between the teachings of Scripture and ideology regarding race relations that he contends does not line up with God's Word. And on this edition of The Intersection, from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention, you'll hear some comments from Rachel Flick, a podcast host and the widow of a law enforcement officer who lost his life in the line of duty. She will share aspects of her walk with the Lord through trying times. Finally, Kirby Anderson and Steve Cable from Probe Ministries chatted with me at NRB about a new survey that shows 10-year trends about how Christians view the world and current issues, as well as the practice of their faith. Some of their comments are coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Gregory Jantz is the founder of The Sitter, a place of hope in Edmonds, Washington, and the author of a book entitled The Anxiety Reset, a life-changing approach to overcoming fear, stress, worry, panic attacks, OCD, and more. COVID-19, in addition to the physical health issues, has resulted in mental health challenges as well. He offered some analysis in a recent conversation. Here now from that chat is Gregory Jantz. There was a statistic that was just released recently by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, preliminary estimates of overdoses during the pandemic, more than 93,000 deaths, which is just over a 29% increase over 2019, which was a record-setting year then, 71,000 people dying from drug overdoses. And really, you, you use the phrase tip of the iceberg. We see that people are struggling with all sorts of mental challenges. I wanted you to comment, first of all, about these CDC findings with respect to overdoses during the pandemic. Of course, we think about COVID itself directly causing death. But then when we see people responding in the midst of the pandemic, you have thousands of people that are also experiencing yes. death. Very disturbing. Yes, Bob, what we're seeing uh, during uh, the whole year 2020, we saw anxiety levels raise to record rates. Uh, it's been said that we're also in a pandemic of anxiety disorder. And anytime anxiety stays and it's chronic, it's chronic stress, people began to look for a way, a way out, a way to cope, a way to feel differently. And drug use and alcohol use, uh, frankly, have skyrocketed. What we know is the whole area of even alcohol cells. So during our time of pandemic of 2020, alcohol cells hit record uh, cells marks. So that's amazing to think about that. And what we know is that anxiety medications as well, some areas, now the prescription rate, we were, the scripts are being written are very high, but some areas actually uh, there was a supply chain issue because there were so many prescriptions being written for anxiety medications. So that tells you 
uh, we're headed for, uh, there's mental health issues, there's depression and anxiety, but huge increases in addiction. This obviously a very difficult time for a number of reasons. What are the, the top, say, two or three reasons why people are be, becoming anxious and experiencing depression and, of course, looking to these substances to try to cope with them? Sure. One of the things happening is isolation. People were isolated. Uh, and then if we just look at what was going on, uh, there's been so much information overload, misinformation. People have come accustomed to distrusting information. So they're distrusting news. They don't know who to believe. So that increases anxiety. So it's that factor of isolation plus confinement plus uh, the distrust and unknowns about the future. This leads us down a road of uh, really substance use. You mentioned some of the contributing factors, the isolation, the confinement, and really something that's very interesting, the fear of the unknown. And I've heard this expressed more than once because people, we're being bombarded by information and people are really looking for places where they can get good information. There's a, there is a mistrust that you, I believe, rightly identified. When you're dealing with fear of the unknown, how, from a biblical standpoint, can we as believers really address that? Well, one of the items that we've always got to come back to is, what's our anchor point? And by that, I mean, uh, where are we going to anchor in? What's our personal truth? Who does God say that we are? And God's Word. And so this is a season where uh, I've had individuals write uh, a, a verse on a three-by-five card, the old-fashioned three-by-five cards, go out for a walk, 20 minutes, get outside, and say that verse out loud. Begin to renew your mind and put the truth back in. Um, limit the amount of uh, news that you're allowing. We've got to put boundaries around this. Um, we know that the more you're involved with, in deep with news or social media, it will increase your anxiety. It will create more confusion. That's the way it works. Gregory Jantz here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, aplaceofhope.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Owen Strand. He serves as provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas, and is a senior fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. In our recent conversation, he discussed principles that he outlines in his book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. From that conversation, this is Owen Strand now. Wokeness is marching to a leftist agenda. This is really just the new leftism. Inequality is a problem, for example, that no one can solve. You're always going to have people sorting themselves in different ways economically, for example. You're going to have somebody who wants to be an artist, and you're going to have somebody who wants to be a Fortune 100 CEO. Well, they're going to earn different incomes as a result of those pursuits. That's not necessarily their differing income levels a sign of injustice. But suffice it to say that, that wokeness reads complex 
societal realities in this very simplistic leftist grid. And in my book, Christianity and Wokeness, I am here to try and oppose these ideas and ground Christians in a sounder biblical worldview. You mentioned critical race theory and drawing the line between that and wokeness. When you actually go to the teachings of Karl Marx and what he actually espoused, in fact, I've heard it said that there is there is critical race theory or CRT, but there's also other forms of critical theory. And you said it very well when you talk about inequality that is out there. And there's some, and just by na- by human nature, by the nature of our society, there are going to be inequalities. This this is a way, whether it be critical race theory or critical theory in general along other lines. So you've really got, besides just race, you've got other areas as well. And would those also contribute to work uh, wokeness? You know, for instance, yeah. what's called, you know, gender inequality, the LGBTQ agenda and things of that sort. Yeah, that's a great question. Fundamentally, what Marx does is he looks at economic conditions. He makes the very, very basic observation that there are rich and poor. Mm -hmm. And in simplified form, he lionizes the poor and he uh, poisons the rich. He sees the rich as basically corrupt. This is why we call wokeness and critical race theory cultural Marxism, or you could say racial Marxism, because uh, wokeness looks at uh, white and black or white and persons of color in America, for example, and it says, oh, well, in this profession, let's say you've got a lot of so-called white people and there's not a lot of people of color representation in that field. And just like Marx did, where you see uh, disparities societally, wokeness argues that you are seeing ultimately injustices. Now, as you pointed out a minute ago, Bob, and as I make very clear in this new book, Christianity and Wokeness, we all have a category for racism being a real problem. We we know that it has been in American society all over the map in, in generations past, for example. But it is way too easy and simplistic a conclusion to look at disparities in society and conclude very simplistically that they reduce to one factor, one cause racism. That is what wokeness argues today. But we need to say that's a possible conclusion, but it is in no way a necessary conclusion. However, that's the way our youth, for example, and our college students in too many contexts are being indoctrinated to believe. They're they're being told that if there are disparities, there are injustices. I wanted to handle these issues with care and with nuance and with biblical depth. And I wanted to be very clear in this book, Christianity and Wokeness, that racism is wrong, that we are a people who pursue justice, uh, that we do want equality of opportunity in our society. And that's why many of us support what is sometimes called conservatism, because conservatism with its pro-free market outlook, for example, has yielded way more equality of opportunity than Marxist ideology as one example. So it is not at all the case that those like me who are unwoke are against uh, talking about racism or wanna shut the conversation about justice down. That is a complete fabrication. It is absolutely untrue. But here is what we are saying. We are saying 
the culture's usage of equity and justice and racism is entirely different than the biblical understanding of concepts like those. And so we very much as believers need to be in the conversation over justice, equity, fairness, et cetera, and so on. But what we need to do is we need to not be taken captive by godless ideologies, Colossians 2.8. Owen Strand here on The Intersection. You can find him on Twitter at O Strand. That is spelled S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to the iTunes or Apple Podcasts feed. You can also find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas. Again, the link is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. You can search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Moving on now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Rachel Flick, the host of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas. She discussed the death of her husband, a law enforcement officer killed in the line of duty, and how God sustained her in the aftermath of that tragic event. Here now from that conversation at NRB 2021 is Rachel Flick. Micah and I had seven-year-old twins, boy and a girl, Levi and Eliana in 2000. And 18, and Micah had been working for the sheriff's office for 11 years. He was in investigations, and as part of his work, he did um, auto theft undercover investigations. And so on Monday, after Super Bowl Sunday, where we'd had a full day with family and eating queso and hanging out and just enjoying um, our happy family, Micah went undercover and pursued a substance pursued a suspect for eight hours and when they went to arrest him um, his partner went to um, apprehend the suspect and the suspect had a gun in his hoodie that they didn't know about and he pulled that out and shot Scott in the hip and went to execute Scott and when he did Micah grabbed the gun and began to wrestle for it and by doing so he saved Scott but took a bullet to the neck Two other officers were shot and a civilian was permanently paralyzed the suspect was killed in return fire on that day Mm. And something I want to come back to, it just this really represents how greatly we should appreciate those that work in the area Mm -hmm. of law enforcement, because they are certainly like your husband, putting their lives on the line every day and and your husband ultimately losing his life. And of course, you as as the widow Mm -hmm. with two young children, obviously a a devastating set of circumstances. Tell me about, if you would, how your faith in Christ really 
sustained you in the aftermath of, well, of what occurred? It's really the only reason that I'm on my feet and mm. in this seat here with you today um, was because I believe in the character and nature of God. When Micah died, I realized that I needed to reevaluate most all of my beliefs that I had engaged in the prosperity gospel, that if I was a good Christian and I loved the Lord, that that he would bless me and that he would protect me from harm and that my life would be safe and that those tragedies were things that happened to other people. And that's never promised in the scripture. God says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so in that time, I deeply clung to God is who he says he is. He loves me. He will do what he says he will do. And in the the intensity of the trauma and that dark night of my soul, I clung to the character and nature of God. And in that I had hope because my hope is in Jesus and Jesus does not disappoint. Well, Rachel, as you know, there are those that will ask the question, well, how can a loving God do something, for instance, like what happened to your late husband, what yeah. happened to, to Micah? Yeah, why do, why do, yeah, why do bad things happen to people? I mean, you're, you were living the life, you're living your life for Christ. Mm -hmm. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God let that happen? Or even why does God do that? Right. Well, we know that God is outside of time and that he has the past, the present, future, and eternity. And he can see all of those pieces mm -hmm. simultaneously. One of the things that the Lord said to me that gave me such great comfort in Micah's death was he said, Rachel, my son was murdered too. Mm. That he himself had lost greatly and that he had done that with a choice because he had a bigger plan for us and a plan to save us and that he is still weaving and orchestrating all of the pieces and things that we can't see, we don't understand, and that one day in the fullness of eternity, we will see and understand his plan. And it's that confidence that when I stand before him, he's going to show me his tapestry that he is weaving together and that my life and Micah's life are two of those threads and that they have impacts in the, um, the love the commitment to Jesus, the impact of his life, it just cannot be seen yet. But I will see it, and I have faith in God's character and that I will become face-to-face -to, -face to him. And we're going to have a conversation. Trust me, we're going to have a conversation. But that's why I can stand by mm. and say I trust him still. Rachel Flick here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Rachel, that is spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Flick. Dot com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it is the president of Probe Ministries, Kirby Anderson, along with Probe's Senior Vice President, Steve Cable. They join me at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2021 NRB Convention in Dallas and discussed the 10-year Religious Views and Practices Survey, which indicates trends among Americans and Christians. Here now from that conversation are Kirby Anderson and Steve Cable.
if I can pay a compliment to Steve Cable, which is well-deserved, uh, he has dug deeper into some of the data from other surveys than anybody I know. Awesome. And one of the reasons we also wanted to do this survey is because, quite frankly, sometimes people will take this top-level look at a survey that a lot of people say they believe in God, so the church is doing fine. No, incorrect. Or uh, there are a lot of people that say they're sharing their faith. Well, then we ask them what that means, and it turns out that means to say, well, I go to church, which is not exactly the gospel, okay? And so we found that, first of all, some of these surveys are not done well, but second of all, as I'm alluding to, sometimes individuals misinterpret those surveys. And we've seen all sorts of people saying, you know, the church is doing fine, the young people, they've left the church for a while, but they're going to come back like the sw uh, swallows to Capistrano. No, they're not. Uh, we have now looking at them over a 10-year period, and in a minute, maybe we can have uh, Steve talk about this because we've seen some of the effects over 10 years because this argument that they're all going to come back and everything's going to be fine isn't really borne out by the research we've actually been able to do. Yeah, if, we, right. if we look at the unaffiliated, uh, the number of unaffiliated 18 to 29 10 years ago was about 30% of the population. Today in 2020, the number of uh, 30 to 39, which is the same group, right, 10 years uh -huh. later, yeah. is now about 35% uh, of the population. In other words, instead of the unaffiliated saying, oh yes, now we're having children, it's time to go back to church and just take on our Christian mantle, uh, we, we see that actually more of that age group are becoming unaffiliated. And then when we look at what the unaffiliated believe and how often they attend church and those type of things, they're down at the lowest level under 10, 5% on most of those questions where the evangelicals or the born-agains might be at 30 to 50% of the, of the group, they'll be under 10. So they, these unaffiliateds are not people who just don't want to affiliate with a Christian. You know, I just don't want anybody to know that I go to a particular church. They are really yeah. unbelievers. Because you, you could ask the question, there was a survey that came out not too long ago don't remember what the the polling company was, but I'm sure that you probably do. But it was about that that less than 50 percent of of people in America today are actually members of a church. That's the, yeah, as I recall, that's the the data there. And I was I was curious. Now, does that mean that does that indicate a de-emphasis of church membership? Pre people, for instance attending churches, maybe a, a, a non-denominational church that doesn't place an emphasis or, of, on church membership? Are these, are these just people that aren't going anymore? Well, I'm not sure on the membership question. I've yeah. seen the data from, from Gallup that talks about that, but I can tell you that many people are no longer going to church because we ask them, how often do you attend church? And that can range from multiple times a week to not at all. And uh, even amongst the born-again uh, Protestants, uh, the number who attend church uh, weekly and uh, pray daily and read the Bible at least once a week is uh, very low. It's, it's down around um, less than 5% of young adults that would, that would say that they do that. Mm. So as you look at, at some of these other trends, and, and we're looking at people that claim to be born-again Christians, but they're not, as uh, and a phrase that I've heard recently, they're not necessarily doing 
and of course we recognize that we're saved by faith and our works are outgrowths of our faith they flow from our faith so but there are i mean there are these sacraments there are these practices that we are to take part in we grow through our interaction with christ with his word through prayer so it sounds like that that you got people that are a claiming to be born again christians but b they're not going to church and c they're not doing the stuff right that's that's <laughs> that's very true and beyond that for example over two-thirds of born-again protestants under the age of 40 believe that jesus muhammad and buddha are equally valid ways to god they just happen to pick jesus because it seemed to be a convenient way to do it here that blows my mind Kirby Anderson and Steve Cable here on The Intersection. You can learn more at probe.org. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find links to the podcast through the Meeting House homepage. And there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can also go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Again, conversations from The Meeting House can be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.